Thank you, Johnson family. We see you here. You could have done it in person, but thank you for the recording. Really good to be with you this morning, and uh, today we continue looking at the letter, what we call First John. That's because there are two other letters after this. And last Sunday, Jin began the series by giving us the introduction to the book, which is at the beginning of the book, where John presents Jesus as the one who brings us love, truth, and life. A message to be very joyful about. So today we get to pick up the next paragraph or two where we continue and we're going to see John start right away to expose a problem within the church community. Just to prepare you a bit here, John, the writer of the Gospel of John and the writer of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, writes differently than we're used to, say, with Paul or Peter. His style is not a sequential, linear narrative, you know, like making an argument and then giving evidences and putting a period at the end. Instead, he loves, if you will, uh, commas, where he takes a couple themes and talks about it this way, and then another way, and then a third way. He's, he's always juggling truth, love, and life, and, at, and discussing it in, in different frameworks. So today we get to see this as he addresses people in the church who are really not Christians. People whose, whose lives don't match the message of the gospel. And you might be saying, well, ho, ho, hold it. This is the early church. I mean, after all, don't we want to be like the early church? Well, yes, in certain ways we do. But it's also good to remember that the early church had the same problems that we do. And one of them is that not everybody who says they're a Christian is, in fact, a Christian. Imposters, hypocrites, infiltrators, false teachers and false livers. That's what we're going to talk about today. And before John starts to address that topic, uh, which you might think he would just launch into, he doesn't. He starts by telling us, again, who God is. So, let's take a look at this. And as we do it, we'll see John says God is light, and then because of that, he will say that there's three things that the people of God need to do as people of light. So once again, verse five says, this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we declare it to you, God is light, and in him, is no darkness. Light. Think about it for a minute. We are so dependent on it. Of course, we're dependent on artificial light, but in John's world, all they had were oil lamps. That was their artificial light, the sun. And if you think about sunlight or even artificial light, it really does two things, doesn't it? it, it reveals reality, it shows us the world around us, 
If I didn't have light on, if it was totally black in here and I started to walk straight, I would run into this podium. But the light shows me what life is like, what is really like. But the other thing that light does, it also transforms, it changes that which it, it shines on. So think about um, springtime. It's only right around the corner, as you know. But uh, do you remember walking out in the morning when the sun comes up and the darkness of night is gone and you look and you see, oh, look, the little crocuses are coming out of the ground, the first sign of spring. I didn't see them yesterday. For sure I didn't see them at night. But the light shows us what's there, what's, what's in the world. But you know the light is doing more than that. The reason those crocuses are coming up is because the life has a transformative aspect to it, right? Photosynthesis, good word, kids, you know that word? Photosynthesis means that the light is transforming the plant and causing it to grow. It reveals and it transforms. And you know, the other day I was in a medical office and I saw the same thing. Um, you go into the office and of course there's overhead lights that expose and reveal what's in the office. But the doctor had added months ago a special light that was there that I never saw before. And he told me it was a light that when everybody leaves that office, he turns on to cleanse the room of germs, especially the COVID virus. Uh-oh. Light reveals, light transforms. So think about that. God is light. And uh, you heard from Mary that uh, we're finished Genesis and Exodus. So what if I was to give you a little quiz question and say, Where's the first time you see light in the book of Genesis? Right. On day one, God said, let there be light. And light shone, breaking through the darkness. And there was morning and there was evening the first day. How about the book of Exodus? Remember in chapter 3, Moses meets God. Where does he see God? He sees God through a burning bush in the desert. The light of fire attracted Moses' attention. And then if you keep going in Exodus, you see this even more because once the people of God were led by God, God did it not by just wiring communication, you know, to uh, the app in Moses' hand. Rather, he showed everyone his presence, cloud by day, and a pillar of light, of fire at night. And later on in the book of Exodus, when God told the people of Israel to build him a palace on earth, the tabernacle, he said, I want you to build light into one of the rooms. And that light was a seven-branched tree. It looked like a tree. The menorah, the lampstand. 
olive oil lamps on all seven of those branches, and the light was the light of God. You know what that tree was supposed to look like, right? If you've been watching the videos, reading up on Exodus, that was a memory of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't just one lampstand. It was seven branches that looked like a tree. Well, you could, you could kind of go on. I'll, I'll give you one more example. At the end of the book of Exodus, God is with Moses on the mountain giving him the law. And when Moses comes down, the people are afraid. Why? Because he looks strange. Light is shining out of his skin. And Moses had to put a veil over his head, his face, so that people wouldn't get freaked out and say, what, what kind of alien is this who's, who's come from us? When in fact, what happened was Moses was close to the God who is light. And he himself received truth from God, the law of God, but he, he was being transformed by God and he didn't even know it. Let's fast forward to the Gospels. You know what John, this author, John says in his Gospel, chapter 1, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's why Jesus said in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said, I'm the light. You get close to me, your life becomes illuminated and your life is transformed. And that means that knowing God as light means that we see life the way it is because God reveals the truth to us and he transforms his people to see light and to live a life of light just like he is. God is the source. That's where we have to start. You know, I was telling some friends this morning that uh, if yesterday you were outside and enjoyed the bright sunshine on a brisk day, and if you told somebody who was disconnected from technology, you know, in two days there's going to be a foot of snow right here, they might look at you and say, what? It's beautiful. It's clear. It's not warm, but a foot of snow? Come on. How do you know that? And you would probably say, because the authority, the weatherman, or whatever your favorite source of weather information is, makes predictions and sees the world in a way that we don't see it. So trust me, in two days, there'll be a foot of snow, which means get your shovel, get your food, enjoy whatever day you're going to have. It's coming. That's who we are as Christians. We don't just live for the moment in the sunny day or the dark day. We know an authority, the one who is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the light of light, who tells us what life is really like and then transforms us to live to please him.
Clomel John gets down to those details. And in three ways, he's going to tell the people of light how to live in light of other people who are pushing back against that. So look at verses 6 and 7 with me again. And here is where he's going to say, people of the light walk in the light instead of in darkness. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So John starts first with those false claims by people who called themselves Christians who claimed to have fellowship with God, but their walk, their life, was just the opposite. It was darkness. John says it, it's so clear. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of explanation by me. He says, they're lying, they're not doing the truth, period. Their actions were dark and false and not godly. These people that were saying one thing and living totally differently are fakes and hypocrites and Jesus said he will condemn people like that on judgment day. Remember in Matthew 7? There will be people who come and say, Lord, Lord, I did a lot of good things in your name. Why, why aren't you letting me into your kingdom? And sadly, he will say, depart from me. I never, ever knew you because you are living sinfully. Even though you say, Lord, you don't live my lordship. Oh, that should, that should could we say, put the fear of God in us, shouldn't it? Just because you say it doesn't make it true. So John just cuts through that and says, look, that's not who Christians are. The God of light is, has followers who hear the light, see the light, are transformed by the light. They don't just say, yes, I have fellowship with God, the God of light. That's why I think of somebody like a former student of mine. He was a good student in class, asked a lot of good questions, really was hungry to learn, so much so that he graduated and uh, went off to be a missionary uh, in a foreign country. Uh, met his wife in the States. They had a few kids before they left, and then they went overseas. And I remember when I was even in that country once, uh, visiting them and letting them talk to our group about what life was like on the ground in this country. And, uh, you know, it sounded good. And then I heard later that he came back to the States, was an assistant pastor of a church in the South, kind of lost contact with him only to find out later that he was in prison. And when I did some searching, 
online, I found out that he had started his own website. It was an atheist blog. And he was talking about how for years and years and years, even when he wa was a missionary and a pastor, he had doubts about this whole thing, only to find out that he was in prison for child abuse within his own family. And I say, how, how did that happen? I didn't see it. Could it be me? But John doesn't, doesn't leave us there. <laughs> he says in the next verse, as if it's a twin to this, if, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is purifying us from our sin. So see the difference here? John describes true believers who are walking in the light, not just saying they're walking in the light, but they're actually doing it. Their lips are matching their life. But something else sounds a little off, maybe, because it almost sounds like, well, if you, back in verse 6, if you're walking in darkness, your life is one of hypocrisy, but if you're walking in light, well, you've got like this perfect life, but we know that's not true, and John says, no, that's not true. You walk in the light, but you also have the blood of Jesus purifying you from your sin. You mean you're still sinning when you're walking in the light? Yes, that's what Christians do. They walk with Jesus and the more light they see from him about their lives, they say, Lord, forgive me. Purify me. That's what a life of light is like. It's kind of like when I work in the garden in the summertime and, you know, you go out after dinner when it's not so hot and whatever, working in the yard, pulling weeds, or whatever it is, and my hands get all dirty. Maybe I'm pulling weeds, and, you know, there's dirt under my fingernails, and so I go to the hose and rinse it all off, and whew, oh, good. But it's dusk. Then I go inside to the light, and <laughs> I say, did I even wash my hands? Then I get real serious with soap and whatever, more light, more revelation. More revelation, more purification. You see, it's one thing to have your sin forgiven. That means God removes it from you. He doesn't hold it against you. That's the first step when you become a Christian. But the next step is that he starts to purify you. He he, he, he cleanses you. He transforms you. It's not enough as a Christian just to have your sin removed. The beautiful thing about becoming a Christian is you become more and more like him. You grow in holiness. That's what a Christian is like. It's like a friend this week who told me all the stuff he's going through. I mean, major life events. And I said, like, wow, 
what I was thinking was, better you than me. I'm not sure I could handle all that. I said, I'll pray for you. And then he said, well, you know what? If this would have happened to me about eight or ten years ago, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. But he said, now, I'm not going crazy with this. I can see, he was saying, I can see how God is changing me, giving me more patience, letting me roll those stresses onto him more. Not perfectly, for sure, but certainly there's change and transformation. Or like I uh, talked to one of our members this week on the phone, they received some really bad news about cancer. And again, I said, we'll be praying for you. And I prayed with her on the phone. But she said, she said look, sure, I want, I want you to pray for God's healing. But even more, she said, I want you to pray that I will be a light to the people around me and the doctors and the nurses. <laughs> I just wanted to stop there and, and almost weep and give her a hug through the phone and say, that's what being a Christian is. If we walk in the light, we have purification from our sin. That's the first thing. Christians walk in the light instead of in darkness. The second thing that John tells this church and our church is in verses 8, 9, and 10. And he's going to say, the people of the light confess their sin instead of denying it. Once again, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So here's the second prong attack that John gives. Not just there's people who say, yeah, I know God, and they're walking totally opposite, but people who say, I don't really have sin, in verses 8 and 10, they're a little different, but it's the same idea. They claim they're either without sin now, or they claim they've never, ever had sin. And John, in this nice, crisp way, he just says, look, people who say that, they're just self-deceived when they deny any sinful nature inside them or any acts of sin that they do. He says it plainly. They don't have God's truth. In fact, they make God a liar because he's already spoken on this. Psalm 14 is actually quoted by Paul in Romans 3, and one of those verses says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, that's just one of... 20 verses I could give you in both the Old Testament and the New, in the New Testament that say, come on, 
We are flawed. We are sinful before God. How can you ever say that, no, I've never really sinned or I've stopped sinning now? To do that is, we'd kind of say, right, it's a little crazy. And yet there were and are people who say they're Christians and when they deny their sin, they're actually nullifying the total depravity of mankind and the cross of Jesus Christ. By redefining their darkness, because they've got it, right? They have to redefine it as light. They become their own God, and they justify themselves in their new religion. This is happening in today's culture like never before. And it's starting to seep into the Christian church as well. And I refer you to a book that's uh, a little on the mm, meaty side, but you could check out some videos on this if you want to, by Carl Truman. And his book is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And what he says so marvelously in this book is that the air that we breathe, the culture around us today, is saying something like this. You are the most important person in your world, and you get to define your own identity. Personhood is not given from God or a God outside of you. Personhood rises from your own self-definition. And Truman explains that this didn't come about last year or last, you know, the last decade. It actually goes back hundreds of years in philosophy and seeps into theology. And it's in our movies and it's in our schools and it's in the culture that we swim in every day. And it affects us in ways that we probably haven't thought about. What does John say, though? In the next verse, he says, that's not who Christians are. They don't identify themselves as, well, I'm not perfect, but I am who I am. He says, we are people who bow. We confess our sins. You hear that? Christians are people who walk in the light They see their sin, and they learn to be honest with God, and they name their sins. They admit their lack of obedience. They feel sorry for not pleasing their Father. Confession. There's different ways we do it. You know, we do it here regularly every Sunday morning. Part of the way we're led is that we praise God for who He is, And then once we see the light, we see ourselves as dirty and sinful. And we bow and repent and confess. Sometimes we do it here through readings, prayers, songs. That's part of the liturgy of being a Christian. We do that Tuesday nights in our online prayer meetings. Have you been a part of that? Well, think about it. This week, maybe you'll be snowed in and so busy and tired from shoveling, you'll say, I just need to sit and pray. You'll get an email. You can join that link. But part of that one hour is 
confessing sin to God. But it should be a personal thing. It's not just corporate confession. It should be part of everyday reflection on our lives. You know, we should never get so settled into a sin that we lose hope of being transformed and cleansed. No, only by being broken by sin's darkness can you be transformed by God's light. I'd like to read to you a prayer from a little book. You've heard me quote from this before called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers, hundreds of years old. Listen to the way they speak. O God, I have no merit. Let the merit of Jesus stand for me. I am undeserving, but I look to your tender mercy. I am full of infirmities, wants, sin. Thou art full of grace. I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I have gone from one odious room to another, walked into a no man's land of dangerous imaginations, pried into the secrets of my fallen nature. I am utterly ashamed that I am what I am in myself. And then they go on. Thou hast struck a heavy blow at my pride, at the false god of self, and I lie in pieces before thee. But thou hast given me another master and Lord, thy son Jesus. And now my heart is turned toward holiness. My life speeds as an arrow from a bow toward complete obedience to thee. Help me in all my doings to put down sin and humble pride. Grant me grace to bear thy will without repining and delight me not only to be chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long and lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may build in Christ forever. I don't pray that way. I don't confess that way but I want to. We need to be people who are broken and honest before God and sometimes before other people. If your sin has touched somebody else and hurt them, then it's right as a child of the light to go back to that person and confess that. If God has forgiven you, you should want your fellowship, your family, to be restored as well. Christians are people who confess their sins. And when we confess, God is faithful and his justice guarantees that we will be forgiven and purified. There's that word again. Third, 
and last is in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Here is where John says, the people of light trust Christ Jesus alone. My dear children, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with a father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you hear how John, the older man now, he's probably in his 90s, writes to the people as part of his church, and he calls them dear spiritual children. He says, don't sin. We should never sin. We're people of the light. We confess it, but we don't want to repeat it. But John is a realist. I mean, he's lived 90 years. He knows his own heart. And he says, well, when we sin, remember this. And he doesn't say, try a little harder. He says, we have a helper. We're not in a hopeless cycle of sin, confess, sin, confess, because he's purifying us. The cycle should look different. But it's not just us and our sin. Our helper, in verse 1, is our advocate. Do you know that word? Advocate? It's a word in Greek that means someone who comes alongside you to give some help. And it's used in parts outside the Bible, in Greek literature, in ways that we would call uh, a defense attorney. You know, somebody who's there to help you with your case because you are guilty or supposedly guilty and he's on your side. Your voice is not enough. Do you hear what this is saying? Jesus is our defense attorney, not our prosecuting attorney. Jesus is here right now because we've got enemies. Enemies as big as Satan and demons and maybe other people as well as your own conscience that condemns you. And Jesus is here with us in heaven pleading before the Father, working through his Spirit who is also an advocate that he sent. We have the triune God on our side. And the reason? Because verse 2 says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John the Baptist said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It all comes back to the cross, doesn't it? No wonder we have the Lord's Supper regularly. That's the most important, pivotal event in human history and divine history. Everything in the Old Testament, as you're learning, if you do those Thursday night Zoom classes with the story of the Bible, everything is pointing to Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb, and everything that comes after it is because of it. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. We are not. 
We don't atone for our own sins. And because he began the good work on the cross, he will continue the good work right now as he is praying and defending you before our Father and against all the powers of hell. And one day, when he returns, we will be ushered into his presence as his children in whom he delights. So children of light, I would like to close by reading to you the words of a new hymn that I love so much, and I think many of you know this. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Let's pray. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to light when he comes at last. May it be so, O God of light. In the name of Jesus, the light of the world, we pray. Amen.